I'm Julian Richings. I play Death in Supernatural, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Armies of the Spoilerverse, unite! And welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's death himself, Julian Richings. Yeah, it is. This was such a good and fun interview. This was a big get. This was a big get. And and this is, we got you on this interview. We got, we got the get Jeff Haas on the interview and myself. And of course, death (laughs) himself, Julian. Big Haas. Yeah. Yeah. This was a yeah. good one. Yeah, Julian was super nice. He's living up in Canada. Uh, he does a lot of, of community stuff, and he's in a ton of different shows and different movies. Yeah. And beyond everything, he's just a nice, wonderful man. Yeah. There's not a human few interviews. Being. Don't even have to there, say man, just human being. Right, right. There's not. There's very few interviews we do that my wife, your niece, is like excited for because she's like, oh, cool, concrete people. Oh, cool, that guy. Yeah. Well, on Twitter, we had Death from Supernatural. She was like, oh, really? I'm listening now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Oh, you do? Because she's a big Supernatural fan. So I was excited because, one, I'm a huge fan of, of his character on Supernatural. And, two, he was also on my daughter's favorite show, Heartland. And yeah. I, as soon as I said, oh, he played this character, she was like, oh, you talked to him? Yeah, <laughs> so that was that, that got me dad points right there. You know what's funny, too, is we actually, when we talked to him, we, were, we actually had a cancel on him. We did. Because I threw my back out. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and he was nice enough that he remembered why things happened and asked me about how I was feeling and how my yeah. back was doing. I mean, he cares. Because death cares. Because death cares. <laughs> well, let's sit back and listen to Julian in his own words. All right, guys. Thanks for coming back. And today on the show, it's super exciting because he's been on Supernatural. He's been on the 2015 wildly successful Robert Eggers, The Witch. He was, well, he was, he is a huge Doctor Who fan. And you've been nominated multiple times for a Dora Award out of Toronto. Julian Richings, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Hi, everybody. (laughs) How is your day going? How is your week, your year? It's good. Thanks. I mean, this is a strange time and I don't know whether this pod is going to go out. You know, hopefully things will have eased off a little bit, but the whole COVID-19 issue makes uh, life a a little surreal for me and for everybody that's listening, I'm sure. And I don't cope with it very well. I mean, I'm... I, I'm an actor, and so my canvas is people. Yeah. You know, I I can't sit in my room and create. I can't um, on my laptop. I can't bang out a script, and I can't paint a, an amazing piece of art on a canvas. I my thing is kind of being with people and collaborating, and 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 so I I find it tricky, and, and I, I guess I get fueled by being around people in in like in parks and in bars and in marketplaces yeah. and, and stuff so so it, it really does feel strange although i gotta say that you know i'm fortunate i'm privileged i live in a nice neighborhood with a garden and you know so it's a strange kind of entrapment it's it, it's weird 
Yeah, it it is kind of weird. I'm I'm lucky as myself because I live in a in a, in a nice area. My sister's across the street. My co-host Johnny and and he's married to my niece. They're not even a quarter mile down the road, and he's got his five kids, and I got my kid here, and and we can all hang out together. And it's we're lucky, you know, that we are yeah. able to do that and be quarantining with each other and not have. Because so, you still have that interaction a little bit. But I'm the same way. I'm an extrovert. I love the chat. I love to see people. I like to be around people. And it's definitely difficult to be stuck at home working all the time. Yeah, it is. And yet, uh, for some people, the work keeps coming. Like my my wife works online and uh, she's doing all kinds of Zoom um, meetings. And uh, it's not relenting for her. But for me, it's kind of a, a big oh my God, is this what retirement's like? You know, like, and I keep waiting. There's the actress thing of, you know, in the old days, it was waiting for the phone to call. Yeah. And uh, now it's kind of, you know, waiting online for a a text or or something from your agent. And, you know, there's just nothing out there. Yeah. It's very strange and it's surreal. And, And there's a kind of a dislocation, which makes it almost awkward to watch some of these Netflix and Amazon shows. I mean, there's there's an embarrassment of riches out there, but there is something where I feel disconnected to, to the industry, you know, and I kind of, it feels like a past that I used to know or something. Are you, are you still located in Toronto or did you, did you move? I am. Yeah. That's where I'm I'm talking to you from tonight. It's a great city. It's very much a, a film theater TV center, yeah. and I've been here, I guess, thirty-five years. My my favorite um, band of I, all time is from there, Rush. Who is it? Rush. 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 Yeah. Well, yeah. We we've had some great bands come out of here. Yeah, actually, yeah. And uh, more recently, Broken Social Scene and Metric. And you, you know, it's interesting. My my daughter, who's now in her late twenties, you know, it introduces me to whole new cycles of artists. <laughs> nice. And of course, we've got Drake as well, like from Toronto, right? As well. Right, so, like so, the yeah, biggest rapper in the world right now. Yeah, so we we got a lot of um, uh, stuff happening here, and and I, I I'm very comfortable. I find for me, uh, I'm British born and raised, and I came on tour with a, a theater company, and I I just found myself ending up in Toronto because it kind of it, it has the excitement of American culture and uh, the the British as well is, yeah. is in there as well, and yeah. it's a kind of a an incredible diversity of, of arts and people and cultures. And, you know, I, I was in Toronto yeah. in the midwinter <laughs> in oh, wow. 2014. Yes. I, I, I was like, oh, was my Lord, this is cold. <laughs> yeah, I was emphasizing the positive, not the negative. That really <laughs> is. That's hard. The only thing worse could be the prairies in, in the winter. But yeah. I don't know. You get used to it, and, and there's a kind of a stark beauty about it. What um, United States it, city is, is comparable to Toronto? Because, like, we, I'm in Seattle, and Vancouver yeah. is very it – like, it feels like a Seattle-type town, but it's also very L.A. in the fact that they do so much shooting there and so much, you know, shows and I, movies I, there. Right. I would say Chicago because – Oh, nice. Also because it's on, on a lake. Yeah. And so in the summer, Chicago is very humid and yep. hot because of the lake, and as is Toronto – and yet in the winter, it gets cold, you know, and they both have similar kind of vibrant cities. And, uh, you know, Toronto feels like it's the little brother of New York. I won't say that Chicago feels it's the little brother, but it is the second city. You right. know, it, it, uh, Chicago has very much its own identity. But, yeah, I, I so I, I would say it's it, it reminds me of Chicago a little bit. And, and in its um, yeah, I can see that. The way that it's evolved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you trained at the University of Exeter, and then you guys yep. you came over here and did some touring in North America. You like you just said, you fell in love and you stayed. Yeah. What was touring North America like back in the eighties? What was what did you know? What were you guys doing? And and I guess when I read that somebody was a drama major and then does touring, does that mean you guys have like one type of play that you're you know a play that you've rehearsed and you're you're presenting this, or is there like a caveat of scenes that you're doing? That makes sense. Well, I, I went to a kind of an alternative uh, theater school. It was a, a like university that. department that studied Grotowski, Stan, well, not so much Stanislavski, but Arto, theater artists that were not part of the main Western st- 
extreme. Yeah. And in order to kind of reach our market, the shows that I was in toured widely and, and hit very specific, narrow demographics. And so we toured Europe, and it was very imagistic theater. I mean, we toured with an adaptation of James Joyce's Ulysses. So you mm. can imagine that it was very out there. Yeah. It was very avant-garde and strange. Uh, I think it was described in a local paper when we arrived as a skinhead version of Ulysses. It was kind <laughs> of a skin, it was punk, skinhead, and avant-garde all rolled into one. It was a glorious mix. <laughs> That's and awesome. <laughs> it, it, was kind, it was kind of this fabulous thing that toured festivals and was very appropriate to go to bigger urban centers and reach a sort of a very specific market. So I was, for me, a kid from England where my grandparents were born within a block of me, both sets of grandparents, you know, a very specific outlook where you could tell if somebody was from the other side of the city because their accent was a little bit different than yours. So, you know, it was a very tight, I, I guess, a lot of people would say a romantic kind of upbringing, but I found it quite cloying in, in many ways so that when I arrived in North America, I couldn't believe the size, the the, the shape of streets, the fact that uh, there were four or five lane streets in a city. Yeah. You could see the sky and just the vastness of, of the continent. You know, it was extraordinary to me. And the whole idea that uh, it's a mobile population too. People move. And, yeah. and um, in England, you could, in those days, you could have expected to stay in one city or one place, probably most of your life, maybe moving once or twice. It's kind of the norm in North America that you you, you move and you're from somewhere else, unless you're an indigenous uh, person or, you know, you, you really have arrived from somewhere. So I, I found that ex- so exciting and just different. I love it. So it, it really, it, it fueled me and, and I, I, I loved it. And I fell in love at the same time. I met my wife. So, oh, that's so nice. Yeah. 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 So that had a big influence too. And then you're like, oh, well, I got to stay now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you were played Bucky Hate in Bruce McDonald's mockumentary um, Hardcore Logo. That's right. I Yeah, that's, that's one of my... Uh, favorite films that yeah. I've been in. I, I, the music scene was a big deal for me as a kid growing up, less sort of traditional theater. Like I said, I grew up at more of an alternative society. Yeah. Well, more of an alternative way of thinking about art, I guess. And so rock and roll, punk, uh, the Clash, the Sex Pistols. Yeah. Yeah. The, those bands the were Dead pivotal in, 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 yeah, yeah. So, I when I met Bruce McDonald, who was a real sort of outlaw rock and roll filmmaker in Toronto, I, you know, we, we hit it off immediately. And then I found out that he was doing this movie about the reunion of a punk band. And anyway, I ended up being in the, the movie and played this character who's kind of sort of a, an Iggy Pop figure you know like a godfather of punk kind of guy yeah yeah and it's yeah it was great and and for me it's it's always thrilling to work with actors who have other talents too like uh, and in this case it was uh, guys that could really play music and really sing you know yeah so that was great yeah it's kind of like so as a a mockumentary i I always think of spinal tap right i think what a lot of people do and when you were recording uh, hardcore logo did you take any inspiration from them yeah well bruce actually right from the get-go said this is spinal tap's nasty little brother oh i love it so so he, i was a little scared he, to, to like compare he, spinal tap because you never know you know what i mean <laughs> yeah well he recognized it as an influence but he wanted to go real he gritty yeah and he didn't want the audience to think that it was a spoof and in fact, it was entered into the Berlin Film Festival that year as a documentary. And it, it went in and nobody realized that it actually was a, a creative bit of art. So it really had an authenticity about it. Uh, Hugh Dillon, who plays Joe Dick, the, the lead singer of the band, really is a, a rock and roll frontman and had spent many years on the road. So it really... It, it had an authenticity to it. it. It was great. I I I read somewhere 
Uh, I always when when I know you guys when someone's coming on, I always try to do as much reading and try to listen to interviews as I can. And right. sometimes it's hard, you know what I mean. But I read somewhere mm-hmm. that there has been times that if you find a role super interesting, that you will give your time. You have been known to give your time, and we'll just leave it like that. And how right. how do you you know what types of roles really kind of move you? Is it more of the character development? Or is it something like maybe you haven't done before? It's a bit of both, I yeah. think. And also, I'm at a point now in my career where I'm one of the old guys. And it's very flattering if there's a younger filmmaker who says, hey, I've seen you in this and that, and I like your work. Could you play this part? I always saw you as that guy. Yeah. And for me to be a guy, just a small part of an emerging artist's world, and to feel that my work has somehow influenced them in some way uh, and that I can be of use as a a presence in their movie. I I find that tremendously fulfilling. So, so I I try to work with younger emerging artists. I, I, I see it as very important. I also recognize that, you know, we're in an industry that it's necessarily got smaller in terms of the technology. People can, make a movie with a cell phone. Right. And what makes a good movie is heart and soul and skill. And and I I try and encourage professionalism over just pure instinct. Like I I think raw instinct is a fantastic thing, but, uh, you know, I always try and take somebody a little farther along the road towards getting a, budgeted movie right we 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 it's a it's a tough world for an artist right now yeah there's there's a ton of content out there and there's a lot of great ideas and there's a lot of platforms but we're drowning in in a lot of content so um, if there are people out there that i can work with i'm happy often but you know again going back to your point about our, our work i won't necessarily work for free but i'll i'll try and be as um, adaptive to their needs as possible. Right. Because, you know, I, again, I recognize that there has to be a degree of professionalism. And, and you know, if I'm going to be involved, then I represent kind of a body of work that also recognizes other people's work. And I think as artists, we have to help each other, but we also have to insist on a kind of a professionalization of everything. And by that, I don't mean kind of getting above and beyond ourselves and, and um, escalating budgets and special trailers and things right. like that. I, I actually mean quite the opposite. I mean, just a professionalized work ethic. Right, right. Said so you're going to start at eight, we're starting at eight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we're not going to go out drinking tonight, even though we, we had a great day shoot. We've got to get up tomorrow morning at 4.30 a.m. So yeah. Uh, let's do it guys yeah that's the hard thing especially for younger guys that to get into the younger people to get into that mindset of yeah we did this amazing thing but we need to to buckle down right now and and let's get to the next part so we can really really shine yeah yeah and the 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 whole organism of a film is, is is a sapping thing you know like they Two and three on no sleep is okay, but come five and six and you're working 18 hours, 19 hours, and then driving people home and, you know, after a shoot on location, it, it, it gets to be actually dangerous. So, yeah. So that's all, you know, but I, I'm always delighted. And, and I guess another way to answer your question, too, is that I, I like working with interesting projects because... I myself, I've had a really rich and interesting career, but yeah. I've always played very specific types of character. And if anybody will come along and kind of go, well, you know what? We're going to make you the romantic lead in this show, which is something <laughs> that, you know, something that one wouldn't expect. Right. And I'm often pretty happy to to have my own abilities challenged or yeah. my own presumptions challenged well, too. There, there was a little bit of movement there to try to get you to be the next Doctor Who there back in the day, right? <laughs> there was, yeah. There was quite a bit of, particularly the, the supernatural fandom, which yeah. is really influential. And it crosses over a little bit with with the Doctor Who fan base. Yep. And they, there were a lot of people that 
they, they were actually little trailers that were constructed by people featuring <laughs> awesome? me as an imagined Doctor Who, which I thought was really cool. Isn't that know, crazy right? how and cool so, the things people do like that when they bring they, – they get those clips, they put it into their video production, and then oh, they, they come out with these things. You're like, I can't believe they made this. It's humbling. It, and, you know, in the last, I guess, five years or so, I've um, actually met a lot of fans through supernatural conventions, which is a whole new format that I never dreamt of as a, a kid at drama school in England. You know, like you never thought there would be such a thing. But conventions now are this incredible form where you actually get to interact with a fan base. Yeah. And they they actually have an influence on the way a show will go and um, are a big part of the the branding of a show. Sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not a good thing because it just becomes exploited commercially. But in right. a situation like Supernatural, it's an incredibly educated and passionate fan base that, that just care about the show. Yeah, that's yeah, Supernatural fans are incredible. And actually, yeah, Jeff is a giant Supernatural fan. I think he's watched all of the episodes up until I get. They kind of get a reprieve, right, from, from the COVID nineteen. So we're kind of getting a half of a of a season it, later down the road. So that's kind of it, cool. It's weird because everybody knows it's coming to an end, and yet, yeah, there's this strange hiatus. Yeah. So so yeah, it's kind of yeah. dangling on the precipice. Yeah, the, the 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 joke right now in Supernatural fandom, like a lot of the pages, like the pandemic happened just so Supernatural would never end, <laughs> just ensuring that it could always just never have its final episode. And it it, it does seem like uh, Supernatural is one of those shows that really could have gone on for years uh, longer too. It seems like it, it does, but to their credit, they they are saying that's it. There's a finite amount of time. And, you know, we can only keep it fresh and vital for so long. And it's yeah. hard on a lot of fans. But I, I think, you know, bravo. It, it, it's a good idea. And uh, it, more power to, to everybody involved. It's, yeah. it's the, the joke I keep getting is everybody says, you're coming back, aren't you? It's going to be you. You're going <laughs> to bring an end to the whole damn series. Uh, and I keep saying, I don't know. I no, I <laughs> Leave me out of the picture. I don't know. I, I think everyone preferred your version of death because death i know in the later seasons where um was a character named billy played death but i think everyone yeah. who's in supernatural fandom views you as one of not only the best version of death but one of the best guest characters in all supernatural when when, when you showed up well you can't go wrong with an intro like that right yes. the, the, <laughs> the montage and the song and you know it was just one of those amazing moments where everything came together and it was beautifully constructed and it set up this character so fantastically that i think it it was a high point at that particular place in the arc of the show story and so yeah i i mean i am everybody's death number 1 but I got to tell you that I thought it was a very brave uh, decision by the writers and producers to get rid of me as death and introduce Billy, because I think, you know, well, what a progressive move that is to, to say, here's a successful character, but we're going to take the shape of the storytelling and we're going to change it. We've got this old craggy guy and suddenly death has changed shape and become a very elegant black woman. And I think, great you know that to me is a kind of a, an interesting move and i think it's true to the nature of death in supernatural in that it's 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 a force rather than being confined to one specific character now so it's the, the, kind of cool that somebody else can pick up the mantle or in this case the side and carry it you know now the, the actress who um plays Billy. Did she contact you at all when she went um, to discuss the role with you or how your insights no, into the character? It, it's interesting. It's Lisa, Lisa Berry. She's a, a really fine actress. And she actually, I've seen her in Toronto in several shows. I'm not sure if she still lives in Toronto, but she certainly did a few years back. And I, I'd see her and I, I knew her work and really liked it. But, you know, she, no, she took it and ran with it. 
it, and, and I think she did exactly the right thing. I don't think that there's a sense of mentorship. I think there's a sense of taking it in a, in a completely different direction. And, and by the same token, I haven't sort of gone, hey, good job. We're pals. You know, I, <laughs> I approve or I don't approve. It's like, no, it's hers. And and I sort of keep a respectful distance, and and I don't get into any conversations about well who was better or because to me it's 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 moved on like the whole story of death the death theme has moved on within the show, so yeah so I I sort of keep clear of it in a way I I keep my diplomatic distance. <laughs> well, that's a, that's an extremely noble thing. I don't think a lot of not every actor I think would have be dignified enough to step back and say, you know, uh, you know, I really, I relinquished, uh, relinquished this role completely to you. I don't think every actor would have, would have done that the, the way you have. But the cool thing is that I'm able to relinquish it, but still be me, you know? And so people have a very visceral memory of how I played it and that's not gone. And, and, you know, and, and I'm happy also to, as a character actor, I do a lot of stuff. So, I'm very happy to have a, a bunch of other directions to move in as well. So it's always suited me to do that. And yeah, so no complaints. So when you first got the role as Death, I guess first, how did that come about? And and, and I guess secondly, what kind of insights did they give you on the character? Or did they give you any directions on how they wanted the character played? Or was that just instinct? Because like I said, it was a phenomenal uh, performance. Considering you, you had you know a very short sp- a window of time on the show it was just a, a really engagement engaging performance well thank you what was interesting about it was that i remember putting myself on tape i i live in toronto and the show shoots in vancouver so obviously you can't go over there and audition it's too far so i remember a re- request to put myself on tape for this character in a show called supernatural which to be honest i haven't heard of and we i think we were in season five at that point and um, I said to my agent, oh, okay, well, sure. Is this a good show? And she said, oh, yeah, it's a pretty popular show. So quickly asked my daughter if she'd heard of it. And yes, she had. So I said, okay. So I did a little bit of homework. And it was for this new, they were just the sides for a character named Pestilence. And that was it. Nothing else. Mm. So I did this audition, put myself on tape, sent it away, heard nothing. And I thought, okay, well, you know win some, you lose some. You, you, and you, you don't invest too much when you've done a self-tape. You just let it go and that's it. And then I went to do, eventually, Hardcore Logo 2. I'd been waiting for years to do a follow-up for Hardcore Logo, the rock and roll movie we were talking about earlier. Went away, filmed that. And as I was filming it, I got a, a message from my agent saying, oh, you've been cast in Supernatural. And I went, oh, cool. Pestilence. I remember I did that self-tape. She said, no, death, not pestilence. <laughs> so, so I auditioned for this one character, and obviously the, the producers have sort of matched everybody up, and, and they've used one audition script. And from that one audition script, amassed a bunch of people to figure out who they could have as the four horsemen. So I fit into it as death obviously. And so, so that was how I, I heard. And, and it was kind of weird because I put all my energy into this location shoot in the prairies for Hardcore Logo 2. And I had to fly from Winnipeg to Vancouver kind of overnight and hit the, the film set the next morning. So I was kind of discombobulated. So when I went in and I did that first episode the montage with the with the driving the car and and the guy falling dead and stuff i didn't have a lot to go on i was just going purely on instinct and what clues the the script had given me you know there wasn't any sort of formal sit down now we're going to tell you about this show julian we're going to do this and he should be a little bit like that and and there there was none of that it was just they, they were very generous and they just kind of let me go with it and I have to say that Jensen, who was in the long scene in the pizza parlor that followed the montage sequence, was terrific because as a leading guy, you know, I'm so used to, as a character actor, to come into a scene and, you know, often you you basically do what the leading guy wants you to do and you make the leading guy look good. 
And uh, a lot of people are very gracious with that. And you can do a lot of good work within those confines. But I got to say with Jensen, he was exceptional in that he really wanted the scene to work and he wanted it to be a really good dramatic scene. It wasn't all about him because he was the hero. And so we kind of just worked together and we, we, we took the clues from the script about the pizza and the idea that death really did like pizza. And it was kind of weird <laughs> that this most powerful man in the, the universe had a hankering for junk food in England, you know, yeah. uh, in, I say English, <laughs> I don't know where, where that came from in, in Chicago. <laughs> so, so we kind of went with the, the strangeness of it. And he, to his credit played that he was absolutely terrified of me. And he kind of said it that I was a force to be reckoned with. And, and, and I really have to credit Jensen as much as anybody for creating the persona of death. Well, like I said, it yeah. was it was just tremendous. And I, I, I think everyone's one of the favorite part was the idea of the, the pizza right there. Were you really eating the that many slices of pizza the way? I mean, how many shots did you have to do uh, with that? Oh, yes. Big mistake. Big mistake. <laughs> and, and I tell people about it all the time because I'm not I don't do a lot of food scenes. I mean, look at the side. Like, I, you know, I'm a very sort of haggard, uh, skinny looking guy. So people don't equate me in food. So here I was sitting down uh, doing this huge scene with Jensen eating pizza and stupid me. So, oh, well, I'll punctuate it with lots of <laughs> moments where I take a big bite of pizza. And this was only in the rehearsals. And in the rehearsals, I, you know, and I really did like the pizza. Too. I thought it was really good. And then and I noticed that Jensen is not taking any bites whatsoever. And I'm thinking, oh, OK, well, he's playing like he's a bit scared. That's smart. And then afterwards, he took me aside and he said, you might want to slow down on the eating. <laughs> and uh, yes, indeed, by like take 35, I was kind of like putting the pizza in my mouth and going, oh, my God. Yeah, spit bucket, please. Um, so, so, you know, the classic greenhorn mistake of shoving way too much pizza in my mouth too early and getting locked into that action for the, the rest of the scene. But it, yeah, it, it was fun. And then because that was so successful, the whole idea of this uh, incredibly powerful guy having a, a penchant for, for junk food, then they, I think the writers went, this, is, this works. Let's get in some hot dogs. Let's, let's get in some more stuff, like pickled chips, you know, and stuff like that. So, so it evolved. Yeah, I, I thought it was kind of funny that the food became a running joke throughout Death's appearances. I mean, every single one, he's eating something. I think, was it season six, he's eating um, burgers. Season seven, you're eating yeah. the pickle chips. And he just continues on that train. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, how much impact did you have on the later portrayals? I mean, like, was it, were you part of the, uh, like part of suggestion that, on, on the joke? Or was that something they brought to you and said, hey, we're just going to keep no, eating, no, uh, feeding just, you? I, I think it's just great writing. And, and, and I think that I, I just was game and and my process as an actor is to really play the story you know and if the script has given me clues to the character and to the way the scene needs to be played then I'll go for that and it worked it, it was well written television and it was a good idea and they developed the idea and it became a running gag you know and it was like I enjoyed it and, and the writers enjoyed writing for my enjoyment of it so it was good now, were you surprised when they asked you back in season six? Did you know your? Uh, did it give you any heads up that your character was coming back? No, I. You know, like uh, as I say, a lot of character actors will. You know, you go in and you do a show and you go, "Oh, that was good," and then you do another one and go, "Wow, that sucked." You know, and you, <laughs> you, you carry on, and and you know, generally you win. You know, you 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 feel pretty good about yourself. So it's always a bonus when a show would say, hey, we liked what you did. We've written uh, something else, you know. So so I now I, I'm digressing. I've forgotten where I was going with this. You, what, what, what were you saying? You, you <laughs> I'm getting old. You know, there, there's a line that Jeff has in, in the show, which is one of my favorite lines. And he says, I'm old, Dean. I'm very old. <laughs> and there's a point now where I genuinely think that. I start talking and I go, what am I talking about? What's going on here? <laughs> I need a script supervisor. 
Anyway, where, where was I? Oh, uh, we, we were going on to the, the next season. That's right. And, yes. and uh, the AD took me aside and he said, hey, this is your, your second um, Supernatural show, isn't it? And I went, yeah, yeah, it's fun. And he said, well, you know what? If you get onto another show, you'll start doing conventions. And I went, conventions? What do you mean? And I, I really had never heard of them. I had no idea what he meant. And it was really Supernatural that pushed the whole envelope with conventions because Jared and Jensen were very open to being available and meeting fans and making the conventions into an event and not just somewhere where, you know, autographs were signed and, and things was, was sold. It was more of a sort of celebration of the show. And so that was kind of how I went, got into the whole convention circuit was by having multiple episodes of Supernatural. Now, and I think another cool thing that you did with your character, and I'd be wrong, but it seems like you did allow your character to evolve throughout the show. You kind of have the original death, and he's in the pizza store, uh, pizza shop. He's definitely colder, a little more hostile. And as he appears more, he does seem to sh demonstrate an actual liking of the two boys. And was that something you yeah. thought about? Was that a way you were you were developing that way? Yeah, and again, there were no big discussions. I, 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 again, I think it was much more in the writing, especially the one with um, Sam Soul. There's a real feeling that he's it, the, the, their uncle is a little bit disappointed with them, but he's concerned for their welfare. And that's a real human touch. And again, you know, just like the junk food, I think anything human that takes it away from being sort of an iconic character, makes it much more interesting for an audience. And, and people are able to identify with that. So as people see my character more and more and more, they, they start to learn more about him. And he clearly has an emotional arc as well. And, and that's important. And I was yeah, trying and I, oh, to go ahead. for that. No, I, I was just saying, I, I, I try and look for that. You, you can't overdo it. You can't sort of try to go for a sentiment. But the, again, the, the writing was so skillful that it was kind of stern love, you know? There was a stern respect between uh, the two boys and death. Well, like I said, it was brilliant. I think another scene that you were in was in season, the first episode of season seven or second episode of season seven, when you first interact with uh, Misha Collins' character, uh, Castiel, what was that like and yes. what does he like to work with? Uh, he was great. And uh, that was new for me because I'd only worked with the two boys. And, and, you know, dynamics are delicate. So they clearly are the two main characters in the show. And suddenly there's Misha, who clearly is contributing a lot to the show, too, and is becoming a very important character in the show. And I wondered how that was going to translate uh, as an on-set dynamic, you know, and, and also as a storytelling device suddenly you've got three people that are very interconnected and, and important. But it worked really well. And, and again, Misha is the kind of actor that found his own way to balance the chemistry of, of what was happening and, and what direction to take the, the story arc. So it, it was fun. And um, I've enjoyed working with him. I don't see Jared and Jensen so much at conventions, but I've seen Misha quite a few times. And, you know, I've got to know him and, and like him very much. And, and the same with a lot of the boys that in the band, particularly Rob and Richard Spate. And, you know, we've become quite fast friends. I mean, it, I, I think that's really cool that, you, I mean, everyone when they talk about Supernatural always describes it as the family, supernatural family. Does it, is it really like that? Or is it something that's more of like an illusion? No, it's, I, I, my experience is it really is a family. And Jared and Jensen are humble enough to know that it's made them. It's made their lives, their careers. And they're very gracious with that. And they're not protective of it or insecure about it. They're, they 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 kind of try and embrace it and make the workplace an enjoyable place to be. And so within that, with, with them being easygoing but focused, it means that they allow a kind of a, a sort of an ensemble feel 
uh, with everybody else and they make good choices. Well, I say they, but they are the leads of this particular story. They, they kind of encourage uh, a warmth and a, an improvisational kind of theatrical vagabond group of people. Like there's a lot of very interesting character actors that with multi-talents, singers and and musicians and, and people who work well together in a group. So when we have these conventions, we all complement each other and, and we all work together. It's almost like a touring theater show. That, that's that's so cool. When you got the call for season 10, when your, the, the, your last episode with the show, what, what, it, it must, that must have been a sense of like good news, bad news, like good news, you're back on, but you must have been, when you read the script, were you, how, you know, were you bothered by it or was it, you know, just a, a gig and you kind of just took, you know, just ran with it or were, were you really disappointed that they did end up killing you in that episode? Well, I, mixed emotions. I, I mean, I read the script and I, I went, wow, they're killing me. But also, I mean, Supernatural is the kind of universe where we all know that people return. So people get killed and then they come <laughs> back again or, or, you, or you, 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 know, you, go, you go back in time and you revisit a story or a character. So for me, it didn't necessarily mean the end. As it transpires, it, it seems like it probably is. But th- that... Yeah, I mean, mixed emotions. Lots of people actually on set were going, ooh, it's too bad that you're getting killed. But <laughs> as as in all film sets, you know, you put that aside and you get on with the practicalities of doing the gag. Like, okay, so how are we going to kill him? Right, you've got to get a scythe going through his heart. So how are we going to do that? So you just get down and you do it, you know, and, and that's how we approached it. And, and we didn't ask too many big questions. The, the thing that made me laugh was the line, you know, I think I've just killed death. I think that's one of the great lines of all time. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, no, we, we, we took it very lightly and, and just enjoyed ourselves. That's good. It's, it's glad to hear that you had a good time on the show, especially for the amount that you did. <laughs> yeah, good time getting killed. Right. <laughs> I've been killed in many shows. I should put this in perspective and say that, you know, this is not an unusual thing for me to get killed. <laughs> I think, uh, I, I think I've, maybe I've killed more people than I, t- more times than I've been killed. I don't know. But, you know, there have been occasions where there, there was one incident where i was in a show called heartland which is a show set yeah. on a horse farm yep i, I know uh, that show popular, yeah yeah very popular show uh, my character i i had a again you know a character part and it was quite popular and, and my character got invited back a following season and uh, a sister of mine was introduced into the plot and it transpires that my character had the barn next to the heroine and you know i'm thinking oh this is interesting this might develop into becoming a, a regular thing yeah and then i hear nothing and then one one sunday evening I'm, I'm sitting with my daughter and i go oh well let's let's put on the tv i think heartland's on right now we'll we'll, we'll put the tv on and uh, see how they're doing like see, see what's going on and i swear i we put the television on and we both look at the, the TV screen and there is an ambulance driving down laneway and it cuts to Amber Marshall, who is, who is the lead. And she said, I'm so sorry about what happened to Mr. Hanley. And she's in tears. And Mr. Hanley is me. And I've just died. Oh, and no. So she she, she <laughs> is, is actually uh, sad that I died. And I, my daughter and I look at each other and go, well, I think I've just died. I don't think I'm going to be in that show anymore. <laughs> so, so you know, I've been dispatched in, in far more strange ways than, than on Supernatural. That's hilarious. Stephen Amell was yeah. on Heartland. Who, who was? Stephen Amell, the guy that plays Arrow. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So Yeah, it's quite a popular show. Yeah. yeah. Is this still on? Yeah, and, and actually, i got to say, I you know, I traditionally have this demographic where... It, you know, people think, oh, you're in weird, spooky, uh, science fiction, supernatural right. stuff. And so it's kind of nice to be in a wholesome show from time to time that I can show it, it, my mother-in-law or something. You right. know, and go, well, I'm actually in something here where nobody gets killed. Well, except me, <laughs> of course. Except for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you, were, yeah. you did Doom Patrol last year, which was a breakout yeah. hit for the DC app. Yeah. And I think you played... That was cool. Sturm von Fuhr Heinrich von Fuchs. 
Did I get that right? Um, von Fuchs or Fuchs. I, I, I always, yes, I, I went to the more polite Fuchs. Yeah, yeah. I would. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Were you surprised how much of a hit that, that ended up being coming? Because I love the DC Universe app. This We do a lot of comic book stuff. Obviously, you right. know, we love it. But at the same time, it really crossed over, which was shocking to me that people who don't even read comic books even knew that show existed. Right. Well, it, it was, yeah. And, and to me, I never grew up with comic books because yeah. I grew up in England. So, so the comic universe that I grew up with was entirely different. It had a whole different platform, uh, different characters, different reasons for writing. It wasn't sci-fi. So I, I'm kind of ignorant. And, and Doom Patrol was one of those where I say to my friend, you know, I'm in this show called Doom Patrol. I've never heard of it. And I go, oh, my God. And it was the same when I was in Superman and I sort of quietly took somebody aside and went, well, I'm in this show I'm playing uh, and I I give the name of my, my character and they go, Oh my God, you don't even know the name of your character and you're in Superman. So I feel a little guilty sometimes because there's a sort of a cultural remove, but you know, because of that, it's, it's all the more enjoyable. I think it makes a huge difference though in your portrayal because you don't have anything that's given you a you should be this way you know what i mean so you're you have a nice fresh perspective you're reading the stuff and you're like oh here we go yeah Yeah, that's right you're laura m in man of steel that's true i I mean it it gives me a a clear sort of a a go at it yeah Uh, you know and i mean obviously i I, I'm open to, you know, the producer, writer, you know, whatever they, they're going to say to me. But yeah, yeah. I, 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 and, and I think you're right in that sometimes you can smell an actor's reverential take on a role right. where they think that they're doing justice to the role rather than actually just doing the role. Right. And it's a trap that we all fall into. I'm one of those I guys. Mean, I do the same thing. I like it when I have a fresh take on something. I, I don't want somebody mimicking another actor or assuming right. that this is what the audience is going to like. I don't Because then you'll miss yeah. out on something really special because if you think they want to see this and then you don't go with your gut, you might be missing yeah. out on something really special. You're right. We, we have a lot of baggage. You know, we have a lot, lot of cinematic experience and t- television reference points. Yeah. And if you're doing a, a reference of a reference of a reference, there's a good chance that it's going to be pretty stale and people are not going to be captivated by it. It's not going to be fresh and urgent. Yeah. You know? you- uh, but by the same token, you've you got to be careful of, you know, novelty for novelty's sake. You, you, right. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. You you got to look at the script and you got to, even if you're not familiar with the show, like I really wasn't that familiar with Supernatural, but I, I was at least able to analyze the script and kind of go in going, well, you know what? I think they're looking for this primary color and I, I'm going to give it them this primary color. Oh, and I love that analogy. From there. Yeah. 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 I love that analogy. That's that's, are you still teaching, still doing seminars on acting uh, and everything? A, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, obviously in our current COVID situation, that's, that's not happening, but, but yeah, yeah I, I work at a, a performing arts school as, as an advisor, which I really enjoy, but that's a very occasional thing. And I just, I, I like working with kids. I like the energy of younger yeah. folk, you know, yeah. and, and I don't know. I think we also have a weird idea about fame and success and acting where I, I think a lot of people think it's about celebrity. I th- they, they think that being successful is being a celebrity. Mm. Whereas I would say that being successful is having a, a body of work that you're proud of. Yeah. It, it's not, you know, I mean, sometimes the celebrity comes with it, right? It, you shouldn't be looking for the celebrity because if you're looking for the celebrity, it probably means that, you're going to be pretty hollow and you're not going to last a long time. And wouldn't wouldn't so you always be chasing I, that as well? You're always chasing that celebrity as opposed to yeah, just and, and, doing the best and, that and you really can. The, yeah. It's kind of hollow because you, you, you know, you get gratification maybe for one role, but then it, you know, then it just doesn't keep going. So, so you just have to enjoy what you do and get fulfillment from that. So, I, I always try to put a perspective on it for younger folks, especially 
uh, in our era of social media and kind of brand marketing and, uh, you know, and celebrity, like we're in a, a celebrity culture. So yeah. uh, for me, it's it's important to be like professionalism, to say, I, I, I do my job and I do it well, or I love my job. Sometimes I don't do it well, but most of the time I do. And that's what I do. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I, I love the fact that you're talking about loving your body at work as opposed to looking for that fame and celebrity. I think a lot of people fall into that trap. You know, if I become an actor, I, I can I make all this money and I can do this. And it's like, eh, well, yeah. you should have a love of what you're doing before anything. Because, like, we're doing this and, you know, we don't charge anything. We don't ask for anything. And we do it because we just love talking with people. I love talking with yeah. people. I love meeting new people. And I I absolutely love movies and TV shows. I yeah. love how they're made. I love the fact that you can tell stories that you just can't do in any other medium. I think that's why I love comic books yeah. and reading as a whole because it's just so – it's just a nice art form to really get behind. And I yeah. don't know. It's just something special about it. So I love talking to people that are in the industry, not because I want to meet famous people. I just want to learn and hear the story of how you got to where you're at and what you're doing because I find it all so fascinating and, and – yeah, it's a, it's a lot I, of fun. I, I agree. I, I, I think if you love what you do, you approach something with um, an honesty that allows you to fail. Yeah. And, you know, like, you know, there's going to be times when it doesn't go so well. Yeah. It doesn't work for whatever reason. And rather than kind of turning in on yourself and collapsing or pointing the finger at someone else and going, well, they were an asshole. Right? Like that was their <laughs> right, fault. Right. You, can, you basically go, uh, okay, so it didn't work there. That's fine. Um, moving on, you know, and you, you're not possessive or protective. You, you're open all the yeah, time. So I like you go, that. Yeah. Well, that didn't work so well as that one, but, and then it allows a, a spirit of generosity. I, cause, cause to be in our industry, you, you, you have to be vulnerable. You have to, kind of make some offers in, in, in choices that, you know, could go one way or the other, or people could go, no, that's garbage or, or manipulate it. So, so it's important to sort of maintain that. And, and for me, that's what goes back to um, working with younger artists and emerging artists is that somehow for an older guy like me, it, it prevents me from being jaded and going, yeah. oh, Trust me, you never do this. You should always do that. Like, I catch myself, to, Juliet, all the time trying to say things like that, and then I gotta, I gotta take a step back. Saying, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Isn't it weird when you find yourself saying all the stuff that you know? You go, oh my god, that I hated hearing that yeah. thirty years yeah. ago. And yeah, and and we have to watch it. We uh, and and I'm sort of realizing because um, as you get older, you. You, you don't think you in, in your own head, you're not older, but yep. then you suddenly realize, oh, yeah, I am. And, and I'm I'm actually making big generalizations now based on the last 30 years of work. Yep. And some people are listening to that and going, oh, my God, he's been working for 30 years. He must know what he's talking about. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> you, lucky. you have to take it. You have to kind of take it and, and use what you can use for yourself. And, yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I'm, you know, when I do my teaching, I, I sort of absorb the energy of, of other people too, and, and I find that very um, energizing. So, gonna I'm gonna let you go here pretty soon, but I gotta ask you about the witch. I found oh, that yeah. movie to be, I, when I got into it, I thought it was gonna be a generic horror story. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you start watching <laughs> yeah. it, and it's a slow burn. And then oh, yeah. and and Robert Eggers is it Eggers? How does how does he pronounce his last name? I say Eggers. Okay, uh, yeah, it's Eggers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Robert Eggers' direction was so methodical and so great in what you're watching. And then you know, and then Anna Taylor Joy, you can you like you're watching her, you're like, wow, she's magnificent in this movie. She's yeah. great. What was that movie yeah. like playing and just being a part? Because it's a it's a period piece horror that you never see that anymore. Yeah, it was it was fascinating. I mean, I, I do a lot of independent film. This yeah. is an independent, but this was different. Right from the get-go, I, I knew that there was a, a, an artistic vision in this and, and a thoroughness in, in 
what was being done where it it was elevated immediately. Like Robert had researched things to the point where it was the location that he chose was uh, the one uh, uh, that, that he had ended up with was the tree formation that would have been authentic in the period. Uh, the- so he was even looking at the bush growth and the trees and, oh. and the way that the, the dirt trail ran through the woods. That, uh, that the whole way that our clothes hung. That whole because farm he's a former was a production designer. Yeah. And, and he, yeah. And, and so there was, there was a, a sort of almost like a ferocity of intent, but it was very quiet and it just sat there and you saw this, there was something horrifically quietly authentic about this. And yeah. it just, it, it just worked on you. And, and, and I loved it. We, we did a lot of village things. I, I played for, for folks who haven't seen it. I, I was the head of the village and we did a bunch of village scenes and situations, but quite rightly, he edited them down because the story really is the family in the woods. Uh, I mean, you know, it's all about the creeping unease of, is there really a witch there? Are they possessed by themselves or somebody else or what's going on? You know, it, it, it was masterfully done, I think. And Oh, the other thing I thought was so cool about the witch yeah. was the soundtrack. I've, I've never seen a sort of a stark sh- film like that. The score. With such dense sound. Yeah. It, it, it really was something that worked on your subconscious. That farm itself, like you were saying, yeah, it's just the the scenery of the farm itself just set up the I don't know there there were scenes where nothing was really happening but the hairs on the back of my neck kept standing up yeah. and I was just like yeah. oh my god this guy is brilliant <laughs> yeah isn't that the scariest goat you've ever seen in yeah. your life yeah it was just like <laughs> oh my god and then it, oh yeah I don't I don't want to spoil the ending because I'm not sure if Jeff has has seen it yet because he's asking where it's streaming so I'm like you need to I think it, it's on Netflix. It, it, uh, my my judgment's kind of out on that, and we won't go into details, but yeah. there, there is the final sequence where I'm in the camp where I don't necessarily think it had to be there. Yeah. There are sort of two camps. There, One camp says yes, very much so, and it enhances the film, and there's another camp that says, eh, you know, maybe we didn't need it. So, so anyway. That was so interesting. Make up your own mind. Right. Make up your own mind. Yeah. Julian, we've been on for about an hour. Oh my God. I told you, okay. I told well, you at the beginning, fun. this is how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> we like to well, have a lot of fun. Have to edit me down too much. No, uh, you were, a joy. you were wonderful. You're a wonderful human being. I love talking with you. It would be an honor to have you come back on again because yeah, I, you were great. Well, I'd be delighted. Oh, so it's thank been fun you. chatting and uh, be- all the best to you. And, yeah. Uh, I can't wait till the 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 world sort of gets on its regular axis again. And, I know, and me feel, too. Feel like we're on the road to recovery. Me too. Maybe you'll be at a supernatural con and we can come and meet you in person. That would be really cool. That would be nice. Perfect. Thank you so much, Julian. I really Is appreciate that, that it. Cool? Yeah. That was great. That was great. Okay. <laughs> Thank right. you so much. Thanks, man. We'll talk Thanks, to you guys. soon. We'll do. Bye right. now. Bye. Bye. That was good. That was good. That was a good interview, man. That was, that was a, lot a lot of fun. Of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I I hope we can get Julian on. I hope we can get Julian on again. Because, I think so. Um, we just had so much fun. We got along really well. And, you know, he's got a similar humor, sense of humor that, as we do. Yeah. And you can just tell that uh, he's just down to earth. Yeah. And you as know? you heard in the beginning, he gives a really cool bumper. So, yeah, he's yeah, awesome. I, I, I can't. I, <laughs> he's awesome. <laughs> if we can find some reason to bring him back on, I, I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'd have to have Wednesdays with Julian. There we go. I like it. Because <laughs> yeah, the guy was amazing. I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, head over to spoilerverse.com. 
listen to all of our back issues. There's tons of similar style interviews with a lot of similar style people that are people that you know and maybe you want to know more about. So check that over. And there's a ton of other shows on Spoilerverse.com that you can't resist. No, yeah, there's so many. There's Narrative Gunslingers, Funny Book Forensic, Bridges and Kids. I mean, I could go, I could spend 20 minutes telling you about all the shows, but I won't. I'm going to have you go there, click on that podcast thing, and you can read all about them on your own, and then yeah. subscribe to all of them on your podcatchers. And you're while you're at like the website, me. go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, if you're a geek like me, go to spoilerverse.com. That's right. And while you're at spoilerverse.com, you know, look, read all those articles, make some comments on the post. Our authors of our, our writers of our articles, they love they love comments, man, because it shows them some interaction there. So go leave some comments. People love that. And go to the store, buy a T-shirt, buy a face mask to cover your face in public, and we'll get a dollar or two out of that, and it helps us, say, you know, pay the bills, keep the lights on here. You guys go. All right. I think that's a show, Johnny. Yeah, that's a show, man. Just one more thing to do. In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu, as Cthulhu compels you to do. Open the mind and read. Bye-bye. <laughs>